this week, I'm going to read an excerpt from an essay I wrote a year ago. In the episode, you'll hear I refer to it as a piece of writing a local magazine declined publishing. This was after they published already personal narratives on early lockdown and then another series of personal narratives later in the summer. When I offered my piece on the teachers, I was met with, we no longer do personal narrative stories. (laughs) I think they didn't have the gall, the teacher debate a little too hot button. I think they were foolish not to care. And I kind of feel today's episode a little too little too late. Meaning it's not far reaching enough. I should have had this conversation a year ago. It feels like when they invented Neosporin after I had already gotten a scar that went up and through my eyebrows, forever changing them. Would have been nice to have had that stuff before the scar formed. Eh, we have microblading now, so that's good. And the teachers, well, at the very least, they have this. A little story about all the awe I experienced while watching them last year. And a little conversation with a teacher surviving this one. In fact, most teachers find this year somehow harder. Fatigue, confusion, tangled carrots, ever-changing plans, and the vitriol being spewed. It's worse this year. It's worse the way Columbine sent shockwaves and then Sandy Hook stung so differently. Here's the excerpt from that essay I mentioned earlier, followed by my chat with a local to me, fourth grade public school teacher. Within the first week of remote learning, I cried countless times. I was exhausted from the inquiries of three separate learners, the sounds of multiple teachers echoing in the open concept first floor of our home, and mostly from the enthusiasm I had to feign for the kids. But I also cried the way one does when you witness the impossible. Okay, I see those hands. Let's go James, then Tia, then Lena. Kiss your brain, James. You got it correct. Yes, Corey, I see your sign. You can go to the bathroom. Okay, on to question two. Is everyone there? Give a thumbs up if you're ready. Nate, welcome back. We moved on to question two when you got kicked off. So give a thumbs up when you're ready. That all caught my ear as I had escaped into my phone. My kindergartner was on a brain break, and so was I. My daughters wiped their dry erase boards and attempted to answer question two. And from the looks of the 16 tiles of downward heads in Google Classroom, their classmates did as well. Students would later unmute their mics to tell the teachers about their plans for the day or their favorite toy, or they'd talk to a friend through the screen. Hi, Lily. Remember when we went hiking? I miss you. Hey, Eli, I like your bedroom. That poster is cool. Students still needed to be reminded not to call out or talk over one another, not to use the chat box for anything other than questions that no, you didn't need to go sharpen your pencil again. It felt in those moments, at least to me, enough like school. And then my daughter's best friend was indefinitely knocked out of class, logging in and out and in and out in a speed that tipped off the teacher. Without skipping a beat, 
The mother of that student was called via FaceTime. The phone handed over to the third grader, and the teacher continued teaching through Google, holding her phone toward the screen, calling on my daughters, their classmates, and that student she was holding in her iPhone, as if this was what teaching is sometimes. This isn't what teaching is sometimes. My spouse wouldn't have thought to FaceTime a student's guardian in order to keep them in the class. He would have emailed them later and, as he so often does, got them caught up during the prime teen hours, inching toward midnight. He'd lament there's no way of doing online what he really does in a classroom, that he hasn't gotten a chance to get to know his kids, that he wished he could see their faces, as many of them choose not to turn on their cameras. But what I've learned through barging in is that he still uses his peppy teacher voice, that his students are participating and even articulating when they are lost, whether lost on the internet platform or in their hearts and minds. They still come for extra help during his scheduled breaks, and they broke out in applause when he showed up on Halloween in a mask with eerie music playing loudly in the background. Some of them say thank you before signing off. My youngest, who grew weary of online learning, packs for on-site school with Ernest. He's somehow learning his sight words and missed all of this, these rifts in routine. He corrects himself when his lowercase p doesn't reach the worm line. He tells me, of course Mrs. Costa loves me, as if that's a given. I cry because his enthusiasm isn't feigned. His teachers have somehow gotten to know him. My daughter's teachers can read their body language by now, noting one daughter's tendency to look above her eyeglasses when she doesn't want the teacher's assistance. Teachers have found ways to get students back on track without calling them out. In a silly sing-song, I might hear the names of numerous students before instructing them to go get a book or log on to another learning site. Scott uses breakout rooms for, quote, independent work where he can discreetly check on students who might need some nurturing. I don't have the means or the gall to barge into the rooms of random teachers throughout the Hudson Valley, so surely I'm missing a myriad of heartwarming stories. I can tell you I've spoken to teacher friends across the region that speak of their heartache but expound on their awe in the students. One such friend defined the hybrid learning style as if she were teaching 10 school periods a day. I was ready with my sympathies when she quickly shifted focus and spoke about how she's making changes to the curriculum to ensure her pace matches both learning environments. I was still hung up on the doubled workload. What is the skill needed to teach students in front of you while engaging with another group of students on a computer screen to the side of you, all while knowing this is a dance of which you never learn the moves and the recital is today? Who has this skill? In my house, I hear a little bit of doubt in his voice that he's someone who does. There's always a bit of tragedy in a heartwarming story. Efforts and accommodations notwithstanding, so many students are suffering in the consequence of all this change. 
They ache in various ways for various reasons with some solace that teachers are noticing that their grown-ups say this isn't forever. When all you've heard are stories of districts closing and officials making impossible decisions and yet another canceled activity or the general clickbait hate that seems to drown us, it's hard to imagine anything is going right. A lot isn't. But then I hear a classroom of third graders sing, Hey, bo diddly bop, I gotta get back to my job. As they settle in their seats and their peers at home start to appear on the screen at the front of the classroom, my daughters giggle as they explain to me that that song helps them get back in the zone for learning. And you guessed it, I cry again. Because a bunch of eight-year-olds are eagerly singing about getting back to it. And it's playful, and it's silly, and it's just enough like school used to be. That was it. Supposed to happen, you're not at all. Jen? All right. Not too bad. How was the mountain today? It was good. It was um, a lot. There was a lot of people, so it was a little overwhelming. It was my first time actually attending a race for my daughter. But uh, Oh, really? It was good. Oh. Yeah, I haven't been in person because of the little guy. He's uh-huh. uh, too young to hang all day. But, right. Um, yeah, right. It, was, it was really cool. Very emotional. <laughs> <laughs> Is it on the same tier of emotion as watching Sean White retire. <laughs> so would I be a bad mom if I said no? Because no. I, I seriously I seriously felt like I was losing a best friend. It's so I don't know if that's like really intense or not, but yeah, with him that last run, I cried like a baby. Oh my God. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I hope he, for some strange reason, would hear this episode and he'd be like, why do these two middle-aged women in New York think that I'm their best friend? I've never met them. <laughs> never met them. You don't know me, but I, I cried like you were my best friend retiring from snowboarding. So, <laughs> But to be fair, like... I have followed his career, and you did too, right? Like, from the beginning, from this, like, who is this redheaded, right? So he has that, like, you know, that red hair made him identifiable immediately. And he was just such a, like, ballsy player, right? Snowboarder Mm -hmm. from the get-go. So it's like, who is this guy? And then just watching him just be who he was and three times, you know, clenching the gold. And, yep, it just, yeah. yeah, it feels it's like a, I think it, it had a lot to do too with like we're the exact same age. 
So it also felt like the end of, not that I'm ever going to pick up snowboarding. I mean, I just started skiing with my own family, um, but it felt like the end of a, like a possibility for me, like, like that. I'm never going to get in a half pipe and I'm never going to strap into a snowboard, but him, like the finality of it was like, that's it, Jen, that's it. You're done. You can never do this. You're 35. This is the end. If Sean can't, you can't. Let's just. That's right. That's right. Yeah. At 39, I'm like, yeah, I've been there for, you know, I've been there longer. <laughs> it's been, an, it's been an amazing and awkward uh, Olympic season. I got to say, I've been doing a lot of crying uh, I haven't been able to watch as much as, as I want, but when I watch the recaps and I read the, even reading the articles, I cry reading about yeah. things. Like, I, why am I so invested in these humans' lives? I will say it puts a whole nother spin on it now with my daughter doing alpine ski racing yeah. and going to the races and stuff and just watching, um, like watching Michaela Schifrin, um, you know, oh. disqualify on both those races was oh. now even more heartbreaking, just yeah. knowing how unforgivable the sport is. Like yes. the slightest little error and, and you're done and you don't yeah. get a second chance. It's, right. you know, it's not curling. It's right. not even bobsled where you get four right. runs. Right. You're done. Right. Right. So it's like, um. There's like a whole, I have a whole new appreciation for it. Um, I thought I knew a lot about it before, but now actually watching my kid do giant slalom races, it's yeah. uh, got a different spin for me. Yeah. I watched the little video you posted of her and I was just like, first of all, she weighs like 50 pounds soaking wet. How How is she doing this? Like, how is she so controlled in her like string bean of a body? Like, just like she was going around those gates, like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. Yep. I was like, oh, okay, excuse me. <laughs> I, I don't know. She's way cooler than I'll ever be. So, um, and, she, and she's not that cool of a kid. Like, <laughs> she's, a, she's a nerdy, awkward kid. But uh, when she's on skis, apparently she's really cool, I guess. So. I I think that's probably true for Sean too. He was probably a nerdy probably. Kid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for our son Sean. Awkward. Yep. <laughs> Yay Olympics. Yay Unfor Olympics. <laughs> Unfortunately, you and I were not Olympic athletes, but um, you know, we did play some sports growing up. Um, what drove you from, you know, you were like a jockey girl, you know, growing up. Like what drove you toward teaching? Why was that your pursuit instead of maybe some of the jockeyer things you did? I keep saying jockey. That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I have one of those like typical stories where I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. Oh, really? Um, you know, like I played teacher and I played school and um, I just, I was always School was like a safe place for me. Yeah. Growing up, I didn't have the most stable of households, but I mm -hmm. could always depend on school. Right. And um, I could always depend on my teacher. I was a lucky kid, and I always had a really good relationship with my teachers, especially in mm -hmm. elementary school. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, it was always a place where I knew I could count on the grownups, and I could count on knowing that something good would happen when I was at mm -hmm. school, whether it was the smallest of things, whether it was just sitting at lunch with my friends. I preferred school over home. So right. uh, right. It, it just kind of became, I guess, all I really knew outside of what do you, what, what can you be outside of school? They always say you could be an astronaut, you can be a president. And right. none of those things ever appealed to me. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I, I always thought like, being a teacher sounds like a really good idea. Like I want to, mm -hmm. I want to be 
a person that kids can count on, I guess. Yeah. Um, they can yeah. come, they can walk into my classroom and feel similar, similarly. So, um, that, that was really, for me, I was, I think probably second grade. That wow. was what I knew I wanted to do. Yeah. Wow. So do you do sort of like take certain classes and certain clubs and stuff in high school to prepare yourself for that journey or you like hunkered down and did it once you got to college kind of thing? Um, so in high school, I did a lot of like peewee coaching. Um, like you said, I was a jockey. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I did. Um, Not to I be did a lot of with jockey. The people right. that ride horses. <laughs> I mean, we are small enough to be those people, but I did not ride horses. So uh, Shh, don't tell our audience. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did a lot of uh, like coaching and obviously babysitting. That was right. always something I, t- you know, took a lot of pride in. And I also am the oldest cousin of uh, a large group of cousins. Right. Um, I was like the first grandchild for many years before the other grandchildren came along. So I was always like the older kid. And um, I I took a lot of opportunities whenever there was one to just work with younger kids when I was in high school. So I did peewee basketball. Um, I would do like clinics and stuff for softball. Um, we didn't have the amazing field hockey like little kid program that we have now, but I would have loved that in high school. Right. But yeah, so I I didn't do much, but I definitely tried when there was opportunities to uh, work with kids. I did a little tutoring and uh, I was the kid who volunteered and was on every possible club. (laughs) I had every moment of my life filled in, um, in high school. So (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but again, like that, that makes sense. You said yeah. you felt safest at yep. school. Schools and clubs for me, like similarly go hand in hand. Like if yep. I wasn't at school, I was at dance, cheerleading practice, swimming practice, hockey practice, or basketball. And it was just like, I'm never home because why would I want to be there? Right. Just get me inside the school building as often as possible and around these other adults that like, took some sort of interest in me, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly yeah. it. Yeah. 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 So would you say um, you had any uh, real standout uh, teachers or coaches that provided that safety that you searched for at school and then you found it in them? Yeah. Like I said, I had, I was really lucky. I, I can't really speak to too many like poor experiences with teachers. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, you know, there, there are other people who feel differently. Um, but I, I think in, in elementary school where I was seeking it the most, um, Mm -hmm. like grown up approval and attention, Mm -hmm. um, I was not a loud kid per se, but I definitely wanted to be noticed. So I would try my best to have my hand raised and participate. And I also took school really seriously, which continues to be the case, um, (laughs) (laughs) even as a teacher, um, (laughs) it was never a place for me to like mess around, I guess. Uh, I think in like first grade, I had a really really awesome teacher who just made like every lesson that we did in class, every book we read. Um, she always, uh, would do awesome voices to every character. And I can even remember in like when we would break off into little reading groups, I I can't remember if I was the strongest reader. I don't think I was. Um, but she always made you feel like you were. And, uh, that can be really like stuck with me. And so, and I'm noticing this in my own kid that, 
you just one or two positive remarks was all it took for me. And then I would run with it. Like I Mm -hmm. would really, I'd be like, oh, she's so proud of me. And I'd go for it every time. And I took that for the rest of elementary school. And, um, my second grade teacher was my favorite teacher. And then, uh, funny story, she ended up, we ended up working together. Wow. She was and, still there yeah, by the time. She was Aww. still there. Yeah. And she, uh, she was just so memorable in the way that she was so young. And mm-hmm. now I can look back and realize she was so young. She was like 22, fresh out of college. Wow. Um, but she was so perky and happy and, and young. And I just remember thinking she was the coolest human ever. <laughs> and I could, I remember we didn't live too far from the elementary school and she lived down the road from me, small town. Right. And I would see her running like through town, like physically running. And I'd be like, Holy cow. I, I want to be just like her. Like that is the coolest thing ever. Um, she was physically fit and so young. And I just, um, I adored her. Yeah. Yeah. And same thing. Third grade was great. Fourth grade was great. Fifth grade, I had a phenomenal teacher who I still keep in touch with. I can remember vividly. She used to give spelling tests and uh, she had every single spelling test from beginning to end of the year. She made a story out of every single word that connected to this main character named the poodle. It was a poodle <laughs> dog. And every single one is connected. Every word had a sentence that carried through the story that had right. to do with the poodle all the way from September to June. And you still remember it. I remember it. And and I've tried to do that, like with spelling tests in my own class, and I just don't know how she did it. I can't, like, I don't know how to make up a word for a flag that has to do with a a poodle or whatever my main character is going to be. But Right. Oh, that's funny. Some people are just, they've got, you know. Got the knack for it. For for that. Yeah. 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 Middle school was a blur. Middle school was a blur. I don't remember too much about it. You know, middle school is a blur, and I, it's so fascinating to, to me to be married to a yeah. middle school teacher. It's crazy. Because I'm like, no one remembers middle school. And then, like, when I hear, like, some of his students, like, have mentioned him in their valedictorian or salutatorian speeches or something, I'm like, how do you remember your eighth grade teacher? I don't remember being alive in eighth grade. <laughs> like, I don't. How did you even speak his name. It's wild to me that Scott somehow has this ability to reach kids in middle school because no fault to middle school teachers. It just doesn't land. Like yeah. there are no memories are made. I guess your hormones are just like, I think, in- yeah, you're not there for school. You're there for, <laughs> yeah, you're there for boys. You're there for girls. You're there for picking up sports, that kind of thing. Yeah. I don't remember. Yeah. I don't remember anything other than my terrible wardrobe and my <laughs> need to wear like pull off basketball pants and big giant Janko jeans. So, Oh my God, the Jankos. And we were way too short to way wear Jankos. Short. Yeah. Like the other kids got away with their Jankos. Like it was not, they were not for us. They were not for us, but we wore them anyway. Wore them anyway. <laughs> there's a, there's a podcast. I think it's, I don't know if it's Radio Lab or Invisibilia or, but there, there's an episode about how middle school is, statistically it's supposed to be a blur like like the data matches that like your frontal lobe is changing so much that like you re- you retain none of it and yeah. I'm like it must be really hard to be the teacher of- I cannot that is one I could never middle school <laughs> I'm out I got nothing <laughs> It's it's besides the fact that I would get lost in the hallway because I'm shorter than most middle school students. So yeah, I wouldn't even be able to make it to class. (laughs) My least favorite subbing is middle school because 
I blend right yeah. in with them because yep. in, in our, you know, dairy forward town that we live in, we live in dairy country. These kids are huge. Yep. <laughs> like, oh, man. Um, so I wanted to talk a little bit about, so you sort of set the stage that you've always wanted to be a teacher um, and, and you like, you made sure that you coached and were around kids and you developed that ability to connect with them. When you went to college for it, was there ever a time that you were like, some of the things I'm learning or some of the things we're, we're doing, oh God, I don't want to be a teacher? Or has the journey always been like, this is great, I'm in, can't wait to get my own classroom, et cetera? So undergraduate was interesting because I feel like the first like two years of college, and, and I don't know if this is the same for every major, but I didn't really do anything pertaining to teaching for like the first at least three semesters. Right. It was a lot of like um, silly stuff. I think I had to take like art history classes and stuff like right. that. And I was always a semester ahead because I took uh, community college classes in my senior year. Right, right. And um, so I thought for sure I'd be like diving right in, but I didn't. I had to take a lot of what felt like silly classes. And then when I did start to get to the, the the teaching, like the core classes that you have to take for uh, your teaching certificate and right. stuff, I really didn't understand why we were learning some of those things. <laughs> oh, say more. Like, what do you mean? Um, I will be honest and say I took really nothing away from my undergraduate until I did student teaching. Wow. Um, I, you know, you learn things but it's so hard to understand in the moment why you're learning them right. and what they have to do with little humans in your classroom. Right. Um, I think I, I took things away from classes, um, especially like the ones that were very geared towards reading mm -hmm. and um, some of the elementary math classes that I had to take. But I think in the moment, it's so hard to understand how you're going to take that information and apply it in a classroom because... Yeah you've most likely never been in one before other than being a student. So when I got to student teaching, I felt really unprepared, mm -hmm. um, really, yeah. really unprepared. And luckily I had two really great, great cooperating teachers. Right. Um, but I also was in two very, very vastly different districts. I was in a district that was even more farm countries, if that's possible. <laughs> <laughs> and then another one that was in a city. Um, right. And very different culture that I was just not prepared for in the least. Mm. Um, so I will say that I learned the most in those, you know, four months that I student taught than I did in, in my undergraduate classes. And I've talked to other teachers and other young teachers too, and they feel similarly, I think. Maybe different colleges, you have take different courses and, and you might get more out of some of them. I had phenomenal professors. Yeah. I just think in the moment... I really wasn't taking what I what I really needed to take as being, yeah. you know, a 19-year-old or 20-year-old thinking in the future in a few years, like, oh, you're going to get your own classroom. You should really be paying attention to this. Right, right. <laughs> and um, until and I got student teaching, some of that came flooding back. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember. We, we talked about right. this. We did this in class. But right. not until I was immersed in it. And it was like, Sink or swim. <laughs> yeah. Well, I would say that's the strength of the professor that it came back to you. Because recall of information is like, you know, it's one of the things like you're trying to instill in, you know, yes. uh, my own daughter. Yep. <laughs> 
But, you know, it's also when you're learning in a classroom setting and you're not in the, I guess, the actual playing field, if you will, of the classroom, it's all theoretical. It doesn't have like a tangible... It, you don't see it in action. You know, if, if you're if you're an earth science major, you go, you know, you go on geography digs, and, you know, right. when you're an undergrad and you see it in action and they they have you taking all these theoretical classes, which, you know, might shape your pedagogy. But you, if, if you're not in the actual arena, you haven't yet applied it. So it just kind of is mushy in your brain until it's, it's mushy. That's a good way to put it. Yeah, <laughs> it's very mushy. Yeah. So then what did you decide to um, study in grad? So in graduate school, I did have a little bit more of a leg to stand on. I had student taught and I had started doing a little bit of subbing. Um, But I took uh, just a brief period of time off, like a couple months um, to get married. Mm -hmm. And then I rolled right into it and I did a very fast and short graduate program so I could bang it out as quickly as possible. I think it was three semesters. And um, I did it over the summer and it was great. So I concentrated. I am um, I have my master's in uh, reading literacy. So Mm. I'm a reading specialist technically. And uh, that was where I think I took the most away from undergrad was some of my reading courses. And then when I was in the classroom student teaching is where I realized, holy cow, there's so much to teaching a child how to read. Oh yeah. I, I need more. <laughs> like yeah. I need, I need more background there. If I am going to be a first grade, second grade, third grade teacher, kindergarten teacher, I need more. So right. um, I decided to do a program that concentrated in, in literacy and figuring out also how to help kids that were struggling, so struggling readers. And uh, the program that I was in, it was great because it was over the summer, I worked specifically with one child the entire summer. Um, And that's what I wrote my thesis paper on, um, trying to use poetry to help them improve their uh, fluency and their recall skills, like we were talking about. So, uh, and I got to know that kid so well. I mean, we worked, you know, hand in hand the entire summer. It was a free program for parents and they could just enroll their kids to help their kids get, you know, reading help. Um, and it was really great experience. And I think, uh, I definitely took the most away from that program and that experience. And I had a phenomenal teacher. That was also cool. You got to have the same professor for most of your classes. Oh, that's Um, cool. Yeah. Yeah. So interesting way to do it. So you really got to know her and she got to know you and it was a very small program. There were 10, 10 girls. I think there were 10 of us. Um, so that, that was, a, that was big. That was a lot. And I learned a ton and I took a lot away from that program. But then I also think about it and I had some experience. So like you said, it was no longer theoretical. I could mm-hmm. actually imagine right. applying it and then working with a kid, but then also being a little bit older, I think I had my mind, my headspace in a little different place also, like knowing like, Hey, this is the end. <laughs> You're yeah. reaching the end. Yeah. You know, it's it's funny. I was going to ask a que- uh, question a little later on, but we're, we're sort of like hinting to it. And it seems modeled in what you just said. And I want to underscore that in that graduate program that you did, you mentioned that you were with the same professor almost the whole time. So you got to know each other. You got to build this rapport. It really sort of, to me, 
mirrors the connection of the student-teacher relationship, um, which is like, I don't know if that's on purpose or not, like to like show you like this is, you know, how you will, you know, sort of connect, right? Like to have that same person, because, you know, I did grad school for, for not for teaching, right? For, you know, English lit and rhetoric and comp. And I'd have a professor, you know, let's say, you know, I had Harry Stoneback, you know, rest in peace, you know, the Hemingway scholar of the world. I had him one semester. He's like this famous dude and never saw him again in my life. Do you know what I mean? Like, so it seems like you were getting to foster and watch maybe it mirrored to you that relationship. So I was going to ask later on, but I'll ask it now. Um, how attached do you become to these, to these students? Oh man, you want to make me cry now? Um, <laughs> I think that that is a unique, it's very unique to elementary school in that oh, yeah. we don't, our kids don't move around. They're with us from, for our school nine o'clock in the morning till three fifteen in the afternoon. They leave for lunch and they leave for special. Right. Um, so they're gone for, you know, an hour and 25 minutes out of the classroom, basically. Right. And other than that, they're with me all day long. Yeah. And for the good or bad, right? (laughs) So it's really challenging to um, say goodbye Mm -hmm. and then know that you have to foster a relationship that you just formed with these kids all over again with another group of kids, you know? Mm -hmm. And, you know, from from year to year, it varies. For some, I get like 10 criers at the end of the year. Some kids (laughs) I get, peace out, Campbell. Like, I'm good. But I I think that's the hardest part of the job is fostering that relationship from the start of the school year and then knowing that it it ends essentially at the end. There's unique situations where like, especially this year, because with our kids, it's our own kids class. I'm going to know these kids for a really long time. So that's super special to me. But every year it's definitely challenging. I get to see them one more year because they just go up to fifth grade and they say hi and they visit, but then that starts to dwindle. And then that's always like a dagger to the heart. (laughs) (laughs) They stop like saying hi in the hall and they stop, um, they stop stopping by, but then you, you do, you get the occasional handful of kids who still write me emails in middle school, uh, send letters. Um, they always have to do this project in, um, sixth grade, uh, shout out to the sixth grade ELA teacher. Cause it's so awesome. She does that. They write a letter to a teacher that they've had, um, telling them how special they are and how much they've influenced them. And actually we just got them on Thursday and boy, are those so, they're so immensely important to us at yeah. the elementary level. And we always read them and we cry. And uh, I have a whole binder full of that kind of stuff because Aww. it's so important, especially nowadays, just to hear that you matter. And, yeah. you know, you've made a difference in one or two kids who write you a letter when they're in sixth grade yeah. or an email, you know, when they're still in eighth grade, because eighth grade, they're way too cool for school, but way they still, cool. they still shout me out sometimes. <laughs> so most of them ghost you is what you're saying. You get yeah, ghosted. Yeah, absolutely. I get ghosted. <laughs> Definitely get ghosted. While you're trying to like teach kids and and foster this relationship, how is that like difficult when you maybe you're watching a student struggle in a subject matter that's not always their strongest, or they were out sick and they came back and they're behind, or maybe they're fighting with a friend and you're like, oh man, that's my little friend Jenny, and she's fighting with Stacy. 
oh, you know, like, does that kind of stuff, like, do you feel like you get involved on the level of like, they're your own kids? Like you care enough? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, Definitely with any student struggling. I mean, I know for myself and the wonderful people that I work with, I mean, it's like wholehearted investment. Mm. Uh, You go to sleep at night thinking about what you can do differently the next day. You have school dreams, definitely have school dreams. I had a dream the other day that was like so real. I woke up and I like jumped out of bed thinking I was late for school and I started putting (laughs) pants on. Um, Your, your day doesn't end. You know, you, you take that home and you try to think about how to help those little people. Um, If the day wasn't good, tomorrow's a new day. And poor little Jenny, who's having a fight with her friend, that stuff, that stuff will get you because you never want to see kids who are struggling with friendships or Mm. just struggling to make friendships and form those bonds. Fourth grade can be tough when it comes to that stuff. They start to really, yeah, you know, (laughs) they start to really um, form their, form their friend groups and um, people start to get left out and trying to encourage that. It's tough. It's tough to want to, you want to stay in the background, but at the Mm -hmm. same time you have to know when to intervene. And um, that definitely comes with experience for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know what? It sounds a lot like being a parent. Like we do that with our own kids, like when to fall back, when to, you know, um, sort of let them figure it out. You know, like I I having twins, like when I'm at my worst, and I, I don't mean that as like a, I'm beating up myself. I'm at my worst when I am intervening with every kerfuffle they have. It's like, Heather, like, there comes a time where like, if no one's bleeding, let them figure it out, you know? And, and I don't think people understand how much teachers do that stuff too. Like you model that stuff, you care for these kids and you navigate them the way a parent would. You, you think on, on those terms, they say, a teacher is only second to an air traffic controller, right? In how many decisions they have to make in a day. Like your mind is making hundreds of thousands of mini micro decisions. And part of that is how to reach every single individualized kid who is going through individualized issues. (laughs) And it's like, you're not just getting up there and going a apple ah, you know, like, <laughs> <laughs> like you're doing so much more. Yeah. I think that's like the hardest part. You can't prepare somebody for that. Um, yeah. It's, it's so challenging to understand if you're not in it, yeah. just how many hats a teacher wears. Yes. Um, that's a great way to put it. Yeah. It's, it's uh, you have your own family at home, but like I said, every day, then you come home and you're finally relaxing after you put your own kids to bed. And then your mind just starts going, or you've got papers to grade, or you've got lesson plans that you need to make, mm-hmm. or you need to make these silly spool racers for the mm-hmm. next science experiment, which I did mm-hmm. the other day and it took forever. Um, <laughs> it's just, it, it, you are constantly going there. Yeah, there is yeah. no downtime. Um, you know, the bell, the bell rings at 315 and we put those kids on the bus and you can see every single teacher, they give the wave that their whole class is out to the lady with the clipboard, the buses <laughs> leave and we're all going in and everyone's literally just shuffling their feet like into the room to sign out and everyone's going, huh, huh, what a day, yeah. like, yeah. you know, just like yeah. muffled 
<laughs> no one knows what's really happening, but everyone right. knows. Like you just kind of give that like nod, like, right. yep, right. what a day. Right. And every day feels like that. Every um, yeah. Every day feels like that. You know, eat good yeah. days, bad days, you just are so mm-hmm. exhausted mentally, yeah. physically. You know, you do, I do somewhere between 12 and 15,000 steps a day. Um, <laughs> Because you're just, you're going nonstop. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's another thing, you know, like some of us that are, you know, I hate this term, but it, it needs to be said on the air that I hate it. Some of us are geriatric millennials (laughs) (laughs) and, you know, we did have the teacher that, you know, might've sat either behind their desk or on their desk and to no fault, Uh you know, it was a different time and they, they didn't have the same, you know, great continuing ed classes that you know, we all are reading or taking now that are like, oh yeah, dynamic movement begets engagement, you know, or whatever. And like, I don't think, again, people, you know, we have our remembering of Mr. Coleman who used to, I used to like stare at his socks because he always had the most beautiful socks. (laughs) But I could see his socks because he would sit up on his desk and cross his legs, right? And I would like, oh, today it's Argyle, today it's Paisley, (laughs) you know? And like, I was like, that might be my memory, but I sub in the schools. I love being a sub. Um, and you people are, you you are Sean White without snowboard. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are zipping down pipelines like constantly all day long. And it's, it's wild. But I wanted to come back to something you said. Um, you said nothing can prepare you for that. The amount of decisions you have to make, the fact that you think about them when you get home, the fact that there's always new things to do at home, because even though you might have made lesson plans about the Iroquois Indian unit, and you have that in your binder from last year, you want to change it up for the type of kids you have this year, right? Can you talk a little bit about those first years and those growing pains of like Mm. realizing (laughs) if you, if you, if you feel comfortable enough to be like, well, (laughs) yeah. So it's, it's not like this anymore, but when I got out of graduate school, I graduated in 2010 there were no teaching jobs to be had. Right. Uh, it was really tough out there. Um, yeah. And there were a lot of teachers flooding the market. Everybody wanted a job. I, I think out of the 10 girls that I went to graduate school with, there's like four or five of us that have teaching jobs. Mm. The rest went on to do something different. Wow. Um, there were just no no teaching jobs. I, I looked in... Um, I applied to Las Vegas. Uh, my grandparents lived out there at the time yeah. and uh, there was just nothing. So yeah. I ended up taking a job in the district that I work in now, but as a teacher's aide. Right. And I did oh, that for, okay. th- I did that for three years. Um, I did that for three years along with subbing. So like I worked half day as an aide and then I, they would pull me to pull me in in the morning to sub. So I was getting a little bit of experience on both ends, but those years were tough knowing that I'm like, I have a master's, I'm ready to teach. And then also New York state requires you to like do a certain amount of teaching time in order to keep your certificates. Mm. And so mine were like dwindling away and I couldn't get, I couldn't get enough time in the classroom, but luckily I landed in a role where I worked in a phenomenal classroom with someone who's now actually a fourth grade teacher with me. And we became really close friends. Um, And uh, I learned so much from uh, her and the way her classroom ran and um, just having an in, in the school that I went to and graduated from uh, was great. 
And I ultimately, I interviewed so many times, so many different districts. <laughs> um, but then after I had my daughter and went out on maternity leave, I came back um, and I did a long-term sub uh, placement for another phenomenal teacher who I learned a ton from. Then from there, I rolled into the job that I have now. I interviewed and obviously I had been basically covering that teacher's class because he was on his way out right. <laughs> and right. I, I got the job yeah. and it was very surreal because now I was so excited, but then realizing, holy shit. Yeah. You <laughs> You're not the eight anymore. Classroom. What the hell are you going to do? Um, <laughs> I genuinely had no idea. Like I was like, okay, you know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. You know what you're doing. Mm. Um, I spent all of July and August in that room. Mm. I cleaned it out. Um, I made it mine. It was, <laughs> it's actually my old fifth grade classroom, which is wow. kind of cool. Yeah. Wow. And like I said, I loved my fifth grade teacher. So that was yeah. really cool. And then you know, all of a sudden it's September 8th and there are 22 children in front of me. Um, <laughs> and then I guess that's just where you kick into autopilot yeah. and you just try your best. I was lucky to have a really good group of first kids, uh, first first group of kids. And they are, um, they kept me on my toes, but <sighs> whew, man, I brought a lot of work home. I could yeah. never really get done what I needed to get done. Yeah. I hope that they learned something. <laughs> I think they're juniors now. So my first class there, I'm about to be one of those teachers that has like a, you know, a senior class officially. That means I've been right. there long enough. Right. Um, and it was, oh, it was wait, a lot. Wait, the current juniors are great kids. Like, they I, such like, good kids. Yeah. We, yep. we just had one of them babysit our, our kids. We went to see Rent the other night and, and they, uh, they babysat our, our children. And like that class is, oof, the, I love that class. That's so good. I got really <laughs> lucky. Yeah. And then it was also, I will say that, um, I leaned on my teacher friend across the hallway and uh, <laughs> she had already been teaching for, I don't know, 15 years at that time. And yeah. I think without her, I probably would have died. Uh, I would yeah. walk into her room, I don't know, 20 times a day and be like, okay, Jean, what are you doing? Can you tell, okay, yeah. how are you doing this? Okay, so we're supposed to do this first and then this. Um, and right. she'd be like, yes and yes. And she was always so patient with me. <laughs> this, I think, 24-year-old, 25-year-old kid walking into <laughs> yeah. her room nonstop. <laughs> and uh, now we're work wives. And I, I still could not do this without her. But right. um, yeah, I, I really leaned hard on the teachers around me. That's super important. And I, I look at it now and I really got so lucky with the team that I had and the people who were willing to lend a hand and just be like, okay, you know, this is, this is it. You could do this. And it's really not that hard. <laughs> and the kids don't know that you don't know. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so I, I attribute teaching a lot to acting to, uh, I'm not an actor. Uh, yeah. I always had stage fright, but especially in front of grownups, but standing in front of a class of kids, you really are, you're, you're, you're performing. You have yeah. to sell it. You have to make it memorable and you got to make it stick. So, yeah. uh, you got to pull it out of your butt a lot of the times yeah. <laughs> and it varies depending on the group of kids in front of you. Um, what, what worked one year is probably not going to work next year because the class dynamic mm. changes all the time. Yes. And you got kids that laugh at you because your jokes are funny in the next year, kids who think that you are the lamest person ever. <laughs> so <laughs> and you're like, it okay, totally depends. 
how do I reach them then? If I can't yeah. reach them through the architecture of humor, how do I reach them? You know, like how do I? Because that's the goal, right? A lot of people that may have had bad experience with teachers growing up, right? Mm-hmm. You know, oh gosh, no, teachers were the worst. They were strict. All they did was yell or all they cared about was uh, the kids that got good grades or whatever. You know, again, like that was like a different you know, things have changed. It's a different pedagogy nowadays. And like, even from my little experience of a couple years of subbing, I can tell, you can feel it in the ether. The goal is not every kid gets that A because someday you're going to need to do well on the SATs and then you're going to need, like you could tell, like the teachers are molding how they teach and how they present so as to reach the kid and get them just another step closer to mastery. That's what I see. And it's just like, I'm going to start crying. It's like, it's so specialized and personal. Instead of like, I wrote up on the board, the 15 definitions of words you're going to learn in the Iroquois Indian unit. I I keep saying that because the last time I (laughs) subbed, the last time I subbed for Jean, actually, I was reading about the Iroquois. And I like had to print, I had to like, practice my pronunciations prior. Like I like, but before the kids came in the class, I was like asking Google, but you know, and, and it's so, it's so fascinating to watch that each kid is getting, even though there are moments you're in front of the class and you're doing a big um, talk, you know, a lecture sort of lesson, each child is getting individualized help or care or or things curtailed to the way they learn. It's, I don't know, I think it's something to behold. And, and I just, I commend you all for that. It's really special. I think that comes out of two, like you said, being a geriatric millennial. <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on the cusp, but I could, I could speak to it. Um, I think that a lot of that comes to knowing the people that I work with and just knowing the ages of a lot of us is that exact thing. Like we chose this profession, but we saw how it was when we were kids and how it didn't reach everybody and how sometimes you might've been left out and you might not have felt like I did not get that. (laughs) And, and I think a lot of that stems from the teaching that we do now stems from, you know, education has evolved, obviously. Not right. much, but it has. But right. I, I think the specialization comes from the humans who choose this profession, knowing that not everybody is the same and we do yeah. not all fit in the same box. Yeah. And I think we took that from our childhood growing up and and wanted to change that in our own classrooms. And I think yeah. that's where a lot of that stems from. I, and I think a lot of us too, we do always we gravitate towards the kids who do need that extra specialization um, because you want to give it to them. You want them to be successful. You want to see kids succeed. That's just, I think, in the nature of being a teacher, choosing this profession. Right. I think so. And I think, you know, like most people, if if you went into film, you you know, if you were a woman that went into film, you were like, I saw how it was and I want to do better. I want to show women's stories that don't get told, or I want to give voice to the people whose voices are are left out uh, half the time. And like, you know, um, I keep coming back to this idea of, I think we forget that teachers also do this. And, and I think that it might be time to address that because, you know, the pandemic and the pandemic response uh, socially, I guess, or societally has not been kind to teachers, right? I mean, that's just yeah. putting it plainly. And a lot of people might have walked that back. And, you know, 
kudos. Like the the best thing we can ever do in life is to change when we know more. So you might have been like, these teachers are sitting at home doing nothing and 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 my kids on the on the Zoom. And then, you know, a couple weeks later or months later, you might be like, oh my God, these teachers are, are doing two things at once, you know, and you, you might see that, that change and it's like, good for you. You, you know, you, you, you understand it now, you, you know, cool. But I don't think it's been voiced enough that like, you know, when people have been mad at administrations because of certain mandates or certain rules or certain things going on. And then the, the little caveat and at the end, oh, 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 but not the teachers. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it didn't, it didn't feel, I'm not going to say it didn't feel sincere, but it so, certainly felt like an, an afterthought. Let's talk about what it's been like as a teacher mentally when you feel like the world, even if that might be wrong, and even if that has changed, um, when it did feel that way, that the world was angry at you. Can, can you speak to that at all? What that was like uh, mental load wise? Yeah. Um, I think at the the very beginning of the pandemic, mm-hmm. um, what was that? March twenty twenty, right? Mm-hmm. I think a lot of us were just so confused, <laughs> trying to balance something and do something that we never in our wildest dreams thought would ever happen. Um, you know, education is such a staple mm-hmm. and always there, always right. there, right? It's just something that you can always count on. Public school. And then all of a sudden for it to be gone and for us to not be allowed to go into our building and teach our students, it was so challenging is not even really the word that I'm looking for. It was so (laughs) difficult in the most insurmountable way. Mm. Um, And at first it felt like people were understanding Mm-hmm. And they were like, okay, you know, the world is falling apart right now. The last thing I'm really worried about for these next couple of weeks is my kids' education, right? Right. We'll, right. we'll be okay. And right. um, we'll be fine. And right. then after, you know, the two weeks came and went, and then all of a sudden we were being told that we were going to have to continue school in some way. Right. And um, I think I could speak to like, I'm lucky enough to be in the district that I'm in because we had a lot of support as far as like technology went and our school was, mm-hmm. were, were, were well off enough that everybody was able to get a laptop. I couldn't even imagine being in a situation where that wasn't available. Right. Um, but it, then once those changes starting to ha- started to happen, and I think people realized that their kid wasn't going back to school. Yeah. It started to feel like everyone was disappointed in you. Yeah. <laughs> you were you were trying like there you know like you said it's almost like a backhanded comment. It's like we know you're trying, but yeah. Um, it, like it it wasn't good enough. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. I was like spending hours a day trying to learn how to use all of these new and and I'm I'm a young teacher and I'm also like sometimes the go-to tech person because I pride myself in being able to figure out figure stuff out yeah. um, that I'm trying to learn all of these new um like websites and programs and ways that I can get my teaching to my students mm-hmm. and not only were you trying to turn all of your lesson plans into some kind of digital format so kids could do them at home, recording Mm -hmm. yourself so that they could then have something to have their teacher teach them with, 
then you're also spending lots of time trying to learn new things um, on top of, you know, learning the new idea of teaching through a computer. (laughs) So it was overwhelming. And then at the same time, you also felt like you were disappointing people. Um, That it was just, uh, it was interesting and uh, really overwhelming. I still have some PTSD about sitting at my kitchen table because that's where I did my teaching for all Mm. of those months. It's still hard to sit there at times. Um, And the feeling of, uh, you know, even just these remote snow days that we have now, the anxiety that stems from the possibility of having to teach through the computer again, even though you know Mm. it's only one day, (laughs) is really hard, like really hard. Um, It sticks with you, that feeling, the feeling of like all of a sudden finding out we weren't going back to school for the rest of the year Mm. and knowing that it was like, you know, April and you still had all of May and June. Uh, yeah, I'll never forget that. That was, that was really, really hard. And I had supportive families in my classroom and they worked really hard with their kids too. So I couldn't imagine not having some support, but overall in the world, I would say it definitely felt like you were constantly being scrutinized and judged and that you were a disappointment. Yeah. It it seems like you were doing or working harder than you ever had. You know, earlier in the conversation, I had written down something you said. You said, I took school so seriously. Huh. I still do, right? It's like, yeah. and, I, and, I, and I appreciate that, right? You take, like, you want to be great at it. You're organized, you know. For someone who takes it seriously, to be told you have to, do it in this new format. Also, you're scared because you are a human that exists on this planet that's just scared in general of like, you know, the world seems crazy. If you took it seriously and you are jockey, so you were a competitive person, <laughs> of course you were trying to be best at it, something you had never done before, right? So yeah, like I'm t- I'm really bad at being bad at things. Right. Like really bad at it. Yeah. So um, I could see so you that, just that, like yep. YouTubing how to be a good Zoom teacher, you know, and like how, to, like how do you reach someone through a computer? Like did you have to take classes on that? You know, everybody said yes. teachers are at home, they're not doing anything. What were you doing? What is the extra things you were doing are the extra thing? Bad grammar. I, um, so like (laughs) to begin with, I luckily was pretty well versed in Google classroom, which was like the platform we used. Um, Mm. and to like push lessons out to kids and push information out to families and stuff. So luckily I was well-versed in Google classroom, but then like you had to learn how to take your lesson and turn it into something that was, you know, you'd be speaking about to the kids very, you know, not, not a, not a ditto, not a handout kind of thing, but like, how do you want to get your information to your kids? So I did a lot of um, video recordings and I learned how to use Google slides like a pro. And (laughs) I, um, there was this really fancy thing called Cami where then you could take something and then kids could write right on it. So like a PDF turns into a writable document. Mm. Um, They could draw on it and stuff, but I had to learn all of those things because Mm. previously I wasn't much of a digital teacher. Like I didn't use a lot of, um, we didn't use Google Classroom in the classroom at the time. And, you know, paper and pencil is the best thing for fourth graders is so what you thought, right? Is what you always thought. Why would you not want a physical book in front of you? Um, So you could go back and 
easily find things. So now you had to take all of the books you were using and turn them into Google Slides and 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 navigate 400 passwords. Oh my goodness, the password thing. And, and you uh, had to do that. You had to generate all those passwords for each kid, like as yeah. the teacher in the class. Yep. Like, and get them uh, to families, like through emails and the Remind app and, and ways to keep in touch. And, oh you know, like my. I said, we so were, I was kids. super fortunate. Yeah. Wait, wait, yep. wait, 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 wait. <laughs> so, so Raz kids, let's just say as an example, yep. you know, my, all three of my kids use it to read books or whatever. Like Raz kids as a company doesn't, you just, you don't type in like your list of 22 students and it generate, like you had to like call all that information and then divvy it out. So now most platforms, well, I would say every platform does that. They oh. you know, take it all. You could type in names and stuff, but there were some at the time. And also you have to be careful so that you're not using like a first name and a last name in a, in a username or a password. It's like a, you know, it's a breach of privacy. Um, so you have to be really careful. So we would, you know, you'd use like first initial last name or, you know, something else. And so for a lot of the programs outside of the ones that we already used in school. Like we wanted to go above and beyond and get extra things so they could be filling in their time with meaningful stuff. Yes, you had to do that. You had to type in Ah. usernames, passwords, that kind of thing. And then um, get that information out to families as one more platform to use. (laughs) Here's one more password. Oh my God. That sounds annoying. (laughs) I hate that. It was so much, uh, you know, Computers make life easier until they don't, is what I always say. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah. And it was so much just fluffy stuff. Like, I just felt like I was constantly um, turning things into PDFs and constantly typing out notes and 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 constantly um, in touch with families 24-7. I mean, yeah. that was, you know, open-door policy. Yeah. Uh, manning emails, and then we still had meetings and things we had to do for school because, you know, even though we're home, school is still as usual as far as, like, we had faculty meetings and, and check-ins. Yeah. Like, our administrator wanted to make sure everyone was doing all right, right, um, right. even though we weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know, you just plugged along. And yeah. I th- I think I can speak for myself and for the teachers that I work closely with. And we're all the same when it comes to that. Like, we all want to do our jobs and do it well. Yeah. So we spent so much time sitting in front of a computer. I mean, I would get up at 6 o'clock with my kids. Um, at the time, I had a second grader. And her teacher and I were in constant contact. They'd be like, hey, can you test this for me? You test this for me. Okay, let me send you this email. Let me know what it looks like. Okay, can you get in? And um, she was using my daughter to like use her password to make sure I could get in as a parent. And we were constantly back and forth just trying to make sure everything worked so you weren't sending 40 emails to families a day. Be like, oops, sorry, that one didn't work. Here's another link. It was just a lot of extra and um, just making sure kids had things to do, like I said, that were meaningful. You didn't want to be sending them a bunch of crappy worksheets, something you wanted something for them to do where they were continuing to learn and working on skills that we had already covered so that they continued to feel successful and not like, Hey, here's some fraction work. We haven't covered it, but, um, and we (laughs) won't be because we're never going to be together again, but here you go. So yeah, yeah, it was very, very, very challenging. And it was, it was a, it was overload. Every day was an overload. Um, And then of course I can vividly remember too, there was like the sun didn't 
come out for days and it was like not warm until mid-May. Oh my <laughs> and God. Every day you just like hoped for the <sighs> sun. I was like, I just need sun in my life so I can get away from this table and go outside. <laughs> and every day I'd be so angry. <laughs> it was the ugliest and coldest April on record. Yes. I'm I'm gonna say that. I I'm not gonna fact check myself. Um and like I remember feeling like my kids are home all the time. Like they don't even have that social outlet of school. I have to parent, but I like, how am I supposed to outdoor parent when you can only stay on your own property and it has not stopped raining in 767 days and it's ugly and cold out. What is happening? And it seemed to soften a little come May when we could like, you know, we could do gym outside. So when we did, uh, you know, when we did field day remotely from our own homes, you know, we we did that, like put on your parents' clothes on top of, you know, that that relay yep. race. We did it outside on our, you know, front lawn and it was so sweet. And, you know, we read our books outside and it changed some of the, some of the drudgery, uh, at least with the sun and the warmth. But yeah, yes. that beginning part was like, it, it, it was felt rough. a little, <laughs> it felt a little doom, a little bit like, mm-hmm. yeah, like, oh, now. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about what you noticed, because I'm sure there wasn't much to notice, like that first half, right? That half. So those kids that you never got to have the crying goodbyes with, right? Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. you kind of you said goodbye to them on March 12th on a Friday, you know, saying goodbye, have a great weekend, and then you and never it. saw them again. Right. Like that, like, you you know, we did a few car parades for you guys and we did like things, but like when you came back in September and you started the year fully remote and then we did the hybrid and you you met your students for the very first time as a Zoom square, right? At least those other kids, you kind of knew them, you know, you had, you know, you had until March 12th with them. What was it like if you can speak to both for you and what you could observe, what it was like for your students to be, I mean, these are not fully frontal lobe formed. I couldn't even take online courses in college. I was like, no way. I want to be in, in the in the room with the, t-, you know. <laughs> what was it like to watch these kids as like Zoom squares and to meet them and not really know them, but know what color their bedroom wall was? And, can you <laughs> and you their sp- cat. I always knew everybody's cat and dog. Uh, Scott um, always jokes he knew everybody's ceiling fans. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> there you go. They That's would, how you know, middle school. <laughs> turn the camera up and it would be viewing, you know, because those kids yep. didn't want to be on camera or they were like leaving the room. But can you speak to like the the cluster that was teaching um, from the get-go on, on fully remote? Yeah, that was such a hard... Um, that news was really tough. I can remember yeah. just I, like breaking down and thinking like, I can't do this. I, yeah. I definitely can't do this. Yeah. Um, thinking we were done and never having to do that again after June, you know, like we finished and I was like, God, I hope we never do that again. And then to find out we were going to start a school year like that. Um, it was really challenging. But yeah. then at the same time, I think it was probably like, after that first couple days like that, we always start on like a Wednesday, I think. So mm-hmm. we started Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. After that, going into that first weekend, I was like, okay, these kids, thankfully, 
know how to get on a computer and they know how to use Google Classroom. So that's like a big step. We did a lot of fun stuff those first few days. Like um, we played like Pictionary and played um, some like virtual card games and stuff, like getting to know you things. So it was fun and easy. Um, But then that first full week, I can remember like that Friday being over, saying goodbye to everybody and being like, breaking down, but in a good way, like I'm going to get emotional now. Those kids were freaking rock stars. Like they, they pulled through and like managed to do their first week of fourth grade on a computer (laughs) and they, and they killed it. Like they were attentive and they, they, they just did such a good job. And I can remember sending that to their families and, and just saying like, I'm so freaking proud of them. Um, they, they did what they were supposed to do. They got back on when they were supposed to. I mean, it was just amazing to watch, like watching everyone says kids were persevering through all this, but we can look back now and say they really weren't. We know it was a struggle and it was really hard on them because their kids still struggling immensely. Yeah. But they, they did what they had to do. And that was just so crazy to watch. Like I'm watching nine and 10 year olds have school through a computer and like get on programs and follow along and show me their work, like hold up a notebook to a camera, like (laughs) mind blowing stuff, you know, like I could never have imagined that we would get to that point. But then looking back on it, I, I, again, I was so lucky to have another really great group of kids and those six weeks were the hardest six weeks of my teaching career. And I've been mm-hmm. teaching for 10 years in my own room, but they were also some of the most rewarding mm. because they just, those kids were just so great <laughs> to me. They were, yeah. they were patient and attentive. Mm-hmm. And um, I can, I can again, credit that to a lot of really great families yeah. But those kids, they just did what they needed to do. And they they also wanted to. They right. wanted to, they desperately wanted to be back in school, just like I did. Mm-hmm. And, um, but they were ready and and hungry to learn some fourth grade stuff. And we made mm-hmm. it happen. And we got through those six weeks. And, you know, hybrid was not fun either. But at least I had some real contact with them. And that was yeah. a game changer. Um, yeah. Can you explain it was still what messy. hybrid is? Yeah, us? yeah. So... Uh, at, I think at the end of October, we finally had a, a hybrid schedule, which meant, so we had a gray group and a blue group and it was divided by kids' um, last names. So like, I think it was like A through F and then the rest of the alphabet. And then we had gray group would come Monday and Tuesday of a school week. So they always came on a Monday and a Tuesday. We were all home remotely on Wednesday. Yeah. And then blue group would come Thursday and Friday. So I never had my whole class together in my classroom. Yeah. Gosh, I don't remember when we did all get back. It, oh, I don't remember it was, last year. It was, it was like, late. It was late. It was like February or, or yeah. like, right, yeah, like before. Right around like, this time. Yeah. yeah. And um, so we did that for three or four months, I think. Yeah. And um it was a, it was tough. It was really tough because as a teacher, I had to, I was trying to make sure kids had paper copies of things. So like you had to remember to give the paper copy to the kids and the grade group so that they would have it for the days they were home and remote on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And so it was always like a back and forth. 
yes. uh, trying to keep on top of that. That yes. was the trickiest part. Yes. Um, you had sure to, like, everybody had. Right. You had to pack for these. You were like their yes. little personal assistants yes. to be like, okay, Monday and Tuesday, you're not the here group, but we're going to be learning, you know, whatever thing. Yes. Here's the paper versions of what your your friends will be reading in the actual physical book because they get to be yep. here. And can you please explain to the listeners, how were you teaching the Monday, Tuesday group, the gray group that was in <laughs> front of you in desks? And how were you reaching those other kids that were home? So um, the kids that were home would log in to uh, our Google Classroom and then come on a Google Meet. And I would have this little stand in the front of my classroom facing my whiteboard. And I had like a whole little setup so that they could see what I was teaching. Um, and I was teaching simultaneously. So I was teaching to the kids who were sitting in front of me in desks while also teaching the kids who are on a computer screen in front of me, but they were at home. And so I was doing a lesson, like a math lesson, say long division. Those kids who are at home were getting the same lesson and they were able to chime in and ask questions and answer, but I could not physically be there with them. Right. So they were, I'm hoping, I was hoping that they were getting as much from it as they could so that yeah. when they returned, I could look at the work that they did and then hope that they got what they needed to so that we could continue on. And so like, as a teacher, you're all animated, right? So like, you were like using your body communication, right? To, to reach and engage the kids in front of you and what positioning yourself so that the uh -huh. kids on the computer screen could also see you and see that you yeah. exist. And like, yeah. up oh, there you go. She's like demonstrating, you know, how the, the four yeah. goes into the two or whatever. No, nope, the two so goes into this. the four. Heather. <laughs> Not a teacher. <laughs> I got this cool little movable, uh, I don't know, stand, I guess, from Amazon. I saw another teacher had one and I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. It's a game changer. It's like this little stand on wheels. And then um, our nighttime custodian is amazing. And she set me up with like a really long uh, wire for my um, ethernet cord for my, because yeah. uh, we had to plug into the internet because the, our, our Wi-Fi is not strong enough for everybody to be live streaming. Yeah. So I got a long enough cord and I plugged it, I plugged in my laptop and then I could move this little cart all around with me. Oh and my so that's gosh. what I did. So I'd like <laughs> tell the kids, I'd be like, all right, we're moving over here. And I'd push the cart back and forth and I'd move it. I'd face, you know, face it out <laughs> towards the, their classmates. And then when we did all come back, I still had kids that stayed home because right, it was right. an option. You could stay home. Right. So I had two or three kids all year home that I never yeah. met in person. Oh. And um, when they were home, they would still log in and still do the lesson. So I still continued mm -hmm. to teach kids in front of me and kids through a computer all year last year. And um, so that's what I would do. I would just drag that little cart around. And then we uh, eventually I was down to one student who stayed home. And basically, I, then I just started taking that laptop and having her basically be someone's partner. And she'd just like sit on someone's desk. <laughs> Oh, that's so that so she could like, be a part of it, you know, um, because she it, she it was just her. And I was like, oh, I feel so silly. I feel so bad. So I like mm -hmm. wanted to make sure that she was like included. And I just started like taking 
the laptop and be like, all right, you're so-and-so's partner today. And they'd face the laptop out and she could see me and hear me, but then she could be a part of like classroom stuff. So oh, that's cute. And then that student in the desk would like turn the laptop toward you and then turn yeah. it toward her so she could look at her. Oh, so that kid got to be like a little bit responsible and feel like a mini teacher. That's, oh my gosh. It's it's remarkable. Like, you know, of course, that's trying and difficult. And you were, you know, I, I know another teacher in our district may, you know, crack the joke that like, I don't teach eight periods a day. I teach, you know, 16. Well, I guess you mm-hmm. only do six, six assignments. So I don't teach six periods a day. I teach 12 because yep. you're, you're, teaching to just like we parent our, you know, our two or three or however many kids you have differently, you know, you teach differently to the, to the folks at home and the folks in front of you. So you really did have to be an actor last year, huh? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, (laughs) definitely. Yep. We started this talk about why school was so important to you coming from, um, not a stable home environment. You felt safe at school. Did you notice any students that, or think about any students that were missing out on that safe space when? when Oh, yeah. 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 I think that was one of the hardest parts. Um, I didn't really get to know them like that right away. You know, you could tell that there were homes and families that had a quiet place for their student to work. They had a desk and they could shut their door and do their work. And then you had Mm -hmm. other families that had multiple kids and multiple different grades and they're just doing their best to try to get their kid logged in to, you know, to get their schooling. Um, and, And those kids, I think, just to have a little bit of individual time away from their larger families or their siblings or whatever it was in their own classroom with their teacher, they were the ones definitely missing out. And when yeah. we did get back to school, you could see how desperately they just, they needed that attention right. and the feeling of being in school, that yeah. that normalness to it, even though it was nothing close to what it normally is like, but just sitting in a desk and being able to, you know, walk to PE and go to music class and not be doing those things through a computer. I think that brought a lot of kids joy and I think some of them were surprised by that even like, wow, I really missed school. Right. <laughs> you know, like I'm tired of being home. Yeah. Right. Are there any students or, or people that you fear are behind or do you have a more positive, hopeful outlook? The saying of like the kids are really behind, it comes from, I'm sure, a place of data <laughs> and testing and uh, or the lack of testing that we've been able to utilize as of the last year and a half, because a lot of the state tests and stuff are canceled. Kids, I I think academically, there are some holes. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that whatever year was the last normal year they had uh, for a lot of kids, things have changed though. And Mm -hmm. I think in a way that like kids have maybe lost out on reading instruction and they, you know, missed their fraction unit one year in math. They've also gained skills that I think we never thought we'd be able to give them. They have such an understanding of computers and computer programs and how to navigate things that Mm -hmm. I never would have had part of my curriculum before in fourth grade. But I mean, they're leaving my room now last year and even this year so much more knowledgeable about um, computers and computer literacy and just how to navigate those things. They're also really fast typers, which was a skill that had kind of gone away for a little while. Um, Mm. They're really great at uh, 
typing their ideas out now. Some of them are faster than, you know, writing. And uh, I just think, yes, there are absolutely holes in some students' academic learning places. But at the same time, I think we've also kind of focused more now, realizing what they've missed is focused a lot more on that um, social-emotional part of school, getting them back into school and just letting them be social and get their friendships back on and and spend time with each other. And I think it's also brought for teachers. I know for me, it also, I laid the hammer down for myself when I realized like I need to stop pushing and start trying to cram as much as I can into such a short period Mm -hmm. of time Mm -hmm. and just go at the pace that they need to go at. Yeah. Let them learn at the pace that they need to learn at. Because as a teacher, you are constantly feeling pressured to cover the curriculum. You need to get it done. And and for in the elementary level, the third, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade teachers who have to give the New York State exams, you know, we take those ELA and math tests in sometimes March and April, sometimes April and May, but you're, you, you know, you don't get till June. Right, you have right. to cover everything in in by right. sometimes March, right. um, and I will say it was very freeing last year to not have those tests. But it mm. also made me realize like they're not the end all be all, yeah. and um, I just I can't say that I care that much anymore. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I I really want my kids to be able to understand. And I want them to be able to know how to do those things, but not by a deadline. Right. I, I need them to get that by the by the time they leave fourth grade. Yeah. But if it means we need to spend an extra two weeks on, you know, double digit multiplication, then then that's what we're gonna do. And yeah. I I don't wanna be confined to gotta have it done. They need to know, gotta have it finished by March, you know, by April, because it just it it sucked the joy out of everything. Right. But then at the same time, watching them and knowing that we slowed down and took our time last year was such a game changer. Wow. Um, the pressure was off and the pressure was off me. So therefore yeah. the pressure was off of them because I wasn't trying to cram so much in, in a short period of time. Because by the time you get to, you know, December and January and February snow days and two hour delays, and then yeah. you have a spring yeah. break and everything and, and time ticks away so fast. Right. So, right. uh, I think a lot of people don't realize that part of school too. Like there are deadlines. Like I I have to have certain things done and taught so that they can be prepared for these big tests that are, you know, supposed to dictate what type of like human they are. Um, and I just, I, I had to like draw that line for myself learning last year. Like I'm not going to push. I'm not like, if we need to take more time, we're going to take it. And will they know everything? I hope so. But, um, if we don't, then, then we just, we didn't get there. Um, but we will before they move on to fifth grade, but, um, it can't be the end all be all. Yeah. Do you still love it? (laughs) I do. (laughs) I think there are days where I say, um, this is insane. (laughs) Uh, it's a phrase that people have not liked hearing recently that you're in it for the kids, but I mean, why else would you do it? Right. It's gotta be for the relationships with the kids and watching those aha moments are, are really what gets you through watching Mm -hmm. a kid click. That's why. So your favorite student of all time is my daughter. Is that correct? Just to, just to make sure that that's, you can mark her down and you can mark her down. (laughs) 
She's a keeper, that one. And, and, and her aha moments, the, those are those really are the reasons why. You know, <laughs> watching watching her grow as a student. Aww. Yeah. It's been been awesome. And like I said, I've got this crazy personal connection to all these kids. I mean, they've been mm. in my house for sleepovers and yeah. and they're my daughter's besties, you know. It's yeah. it's really cool. It's cool. That's a cool. That's a cool way to that's a cool place to be in your career right now. Of yeah, all the it really years. Is. Of yeah. all the years to have your daughter's friend, your daughter's group, this mm-hmm. this feels like the sweet spot year to have it. This awkward, we're still in that awkward coming out of the haze yeah. of the pandemic. Yeah. Well, I really want to thank you for being so candid about what drives you to be a teacher, what it was like to learn how to be a teacher, and then what it was like to relearn how to be a teacher. <laughs> In the middle of a global pandemic, was there anything else you wanted to to say or to sort of highlight about um, all your other fellow teachers out there that maybe have struggled or... Yeah, this is a tough time and I think education is changing. I hope for the better, but I think a, a shout out to all teachers because, you know, as a parent and as a fellow teacher, there are people who see you and know how hard you work every day. We, you, you do have a lot of support, even when it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people out there who really do appreciate what you do every day. So pat yourselves on the back, because even though sometimes it feels like you're not making a difference, um, mm-hmm. you are. I hope that one day we get back to the, I mean, and maybe it might not be hopeful for those grads, but I hope we get back to there are there are no jobs. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody wants to be a teacher again, and there are no jobs available. Because it's sad. I'm seeing so many leave and they're burnt out and they weren't supported or their skills didn't match what happened in the world. And that's okay, Mm -hmm. too. Like if I I am a Luddite, I don't even know how to turn on Zencaster. My producer does all of it. (laughs) If I had to teach like via technology, I would have said, I'm out. Peace. (laughs) So kudos to everyone that tried and did their best and uh, kudos to everyone that's changing and continuing to learn and grow and uh, try new things. Thanks so much. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It's cool to have a a teacher voice for a second, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I had written that little story and uh, a local magazine (laughs) (laughs) did not pick up that story. So this one's for the teachers. We could have gone on for hours. Eh, That feels appropriate, right? I know even when I taught at local colleges, I would leave class thinking, oh man, we could have talked about, or, oh, I should have showed them. And that's it. That's the profession. There's so much more to say to keep the academic conversation alive, as my former professor at CUNY, Janice Peretz, used to say. I had no idea what way our conversation would go. Being big criers, I didn't know if we would have just recorded one full hour of crying and I just would have published that. I didn't know we wouldn't talk about school shootings or how much harder this year has seemed than that hybrid one last year. Again, it feels appropriate. Teachers work in real time to make change to their pedagogy, their approach. Jen and her colleagues are already remedying how hard this year has been. 
Like she said, she's changed her curriculum. Remember Fiona from episode two? She has her creative writing students make memes. They engage with the architecture of a universal joke. They get to joke. Another friend, Sarah Lobotsky, once made a sign that read, I teach algebra and empathy. And I hope that's exactly what you got from Jen and my conversation. Teachers' jobs changed the most during this time because the, you know, consumers, patients, clients, whatever, the kids are idiosyncratic, rambunctious, silly, no full frontal lobe yet kids. And we worried about them because it's not those who can't do teach. It's those who want others to do even better than them teach. Hey, Bo Diddly Bop. That Wasn't Supposed to Happen is produced by Doug Wartell at Spillway Street Studio here in Red Hook, New York. Artwork by Natalie Ranganeshi. Hosted by me, Heather Delamore. Shaking cold These hands are meant to hold Thank you, man When all you gotta keep is strong Move along, move along Like I know you do Spillway Street